Um, well, it's good to be here, obviously. Um, I have realized that when you come to the island, there is one question someone, that you always get asked. The first question is, have you been to the island before? The answer is yes. So we don't need to have that conversation afterwards during tea and coffee. I have been to the island before. This is my third visit. And um, I came once, oh, six or so years ago, I was serving another church, um, doing their weekend away for them. They came to the island for a weekend away, but I came and visited here on the Sunday. You had pews back then. Yeah, yeah, I remember the pews. And, um, and then I came a few weeks ago and spent an evening with Mark and Jackie and a few others just chilling out and enjoying company and sharing hearts, which is great. Uh, on the back of that, they invited me back today, so hopefully I will do a, a good job for you guys and serve you well. I appreciate that many of you don't know who I am, so obviously my name is Jazz. You can tell that I am Indian just by the colour of my skin. I was born in India. I'm not going to give you my life story, it's okay. Um, and uh, I grew up in a Sikh family and came to know Jesus for myself when I was 12, uh, on Wimbledon Common, of all places. So Wimbledon is my, my home, but although I now live in Croydon. And uh, the church in Wimbledon used to run a holiday club, and that's where they, someone explained to me about who Jesus was, and that's how I came to know him first. Short potted history there. It's a longer story. Maybe they'll invite me back for another session, and I can go into that a little bit more. Um, I'm married to Tim, uh, and we have two sons. Tim uh, is at home, and he's preaching... At probably exactly the same time as me back at our home church. We could have Skyped each other and compared our, our preaches, although I don't know what text he's using. I didn't actually ask. Um, uh, and we have two sons. Uh, one is now 17 and the other is 15. Uh, both boys are adopted. They arrived to us on December the 2nd, just over 11 years ago. And so they were six and four when they came to us. And I don't know if you know much about adoption, but when the children arrive with you, you have to, you take two weeks off and they don't go to school for two weeks and I don't, we don't go to work for two weeks. And in that two weeks, we're supposed to get to know them. So we had Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and we were really enjoying the boys and they're lovely. And they came from Leeds, so I should explain that. So they had strong northern accents when they came down to Croydon. Now if you listen to them, they're proper Croydon, in it bruv is kind of what they say. And um, they, they came, and after three or four days, we were going a little bit stir-crazy. We're like, okay, now what do we do? Because Tim and I weren't that good with children at that point. You know, we went, we'd seen quite a lot of reruns of Cars after three or four days. We'd had enough. <laughs> so I went, let's go to the park. And the boys are really excited, going, yes, we're going to go to the park. Um, but, of course, I'm a new mum, and I didn't realise, all you mums out there know, that you don't take your children to the park on a wet December cold day. It's not the thing to do. But um, I didn't know that, so I wrapped them up, and we went round the corner to the park. And uh, when they got towards the park, they're like, oh, mummy, look, there's swings, there's swings, mummy, there's swings. Sorry, this chap's taking photographs of me. I'm just going to pose. <laughs> Maybe, actually, I should have done it with a Bible, so I kind of looked holy at the, at the same point my finger. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry, thank you, Glyn. Uh, I hope that picture makes your website, I really do. 
Um, no, so the boys are going, oh, mummy, look, there's swings, there's swings. And they got really excited about these swings. And as we approached the swings, there were two. One was okay, but the other one, obviously, the older children had been in the park, and they'd swung it over the top. And uh, the boys' faces, oh, mummy, we both want to go on swings. <laughs> And I'm like, well, that's okay, I'm super mum. And I kind of worked out that if I stepped back a little bit, ran and pushed really hard, I could get the swing over the top and, you know, I'd look like, I'd look like a hero mum. So, children aside, I took my run, I pushed, turned around, wasn't fast enough. And the swing, I didn't, well, I didn't push hard enough, I didn't go over the top and I wasn't fast enough turning. It got me, hit me on my shoulder, I landed on the floor. But I'm super mum. And so I thought, well, I better not scream or shout or upset the children. So I just froze. I was in agony. I just froze. I just lay there. Couldn't move. Didn't want to squeal. Didn't want to do anything. And I could hear this voice. And um, the little one was going, mummy, mummy. Oh, no. Mummy, she's dead. (laughs) And the older one just went, no, she's not dead. She's just gone to heaven. So those are my boys. They now do talk with proper Croydon accents and drop all their T's and H's and oh, South London proper. But anyway, I haven't come to talk about my boys. Um, I serve the church at Croydon. Sorry, where should I stand? Because I can hear feedback. Is this about right? In. Thank you. I don't really want to annoy all of you for the next half an hour or so. Is that okay? Cool. Um, I serve the church as an evangelist, and I've worked for our church for the best part of 20 years, and clearly I started when I was five, just, just so that you understand that, and I, uh, and I don't know if you know what an evangelist does. Um, I've had to teach our church as to what an evangelist does. I think when they first took me on, on staff, they presumed that I would be the person that led everybody to Jesus, and that I would go around and, you know... Our church would grow enormously just because they've employed an evangelist. Somebody uh, at the hub in Dubai uh, asked me you know, what I did as an evangelist and said, do you just go around having cups of tea with people? <laughs> I do have cups of tea, but not for the purpose of evangelism. And, um, but I do all sorts of things. But the main, my main role is to equip the church to be more evangelistic to help our church understand what it is to be on mission day in, day out in your ordinary lives. And I fully appreciate that, you know, we hear these big calls of going to the nations and going here and going there and upping sticks and all those things are right. If you hear from God, you should absolutely do those things. But actually most of us sitting in this room are called to serve Jesus exactly where we are. And you guys are called to serve Jesus here on this island. You guys have got a mandate to see the island reached and one for Jesus, this community transformed. And so that's kind of what I'm here to do this morning, to provoke a little bit, to tease a little bit, but really to get you just a little bit more fired up and excited about seeing the Isle of Wight being associated with not just the Isle of Wight Festival and not just boats and a beautiful island, but actually the name of Jesus. Isn't that what you want? Yeah, it's what I would want. So I'm, um, and I will always, although I think the big rallies are great, I genuinely believe that the way this is done is through genuine, real friendship. 
And if, if, you, if you hear nothing today, then just hear from me that actually build friendships. Build genuine friendships right across your, your island, right with your neighbours, with your colleagues, uh, with all the people that you interact with. This is done one life at a time. And if you were to all lead one person to Jesus this year, if I were to come back next March, this place would be doubled. You wouldn't be able to fit everybody in. And if they were to then lead everybody to Jesus the following year, just imagine what it would be like, but through genuine, real friendships. However, having said that, I'm going to look at a completely different story in terms of what we're going to do this morning. I'm in uh, John 4, if you've got Bibles or it goes up on the screen. I don't know how it works in this church. Um, We're in John 4, Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman. This is a a passage that is a gift to the evangelist. I love this passage. It's got everything in here. It's got the drama. It's got the word of knowledge. It's got this. It's got got the whole lot. So we're going to look at this passage and just see what God's saying to us through it this morning. Uh, Starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in, the, will, I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where he must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is, is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the truth, in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, 
I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And we know that her response is to run back to the village, tell the village about this man that she's met that could tell her everything about him and brings the village through and a whole community is transformed. This, this passage has so many incredible nuggets that I want to draw from. And it's about living a life supernaturally, but every single day of your lives. The first bit, I want to just go back to that. I just want to pick up. It's, it's verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Those of you that like a bit of Bible history geography stuff, the reality was that the Jews would never go through Samaria. In order to get to where he had to go, he would have had to go around the long way, add a couple of days to his journey. But for whatever reason, led by the Holy Spirit, revelation of God, Jesus felt compelled to go through Samaria. Now, I don't know when you get up in the mornings, do you ever have that compulsion or think, oh, maybe I should just pop over there today. Oh, I think I will have a coffee in that particular shop today or I'll go over there. You know, sometimes, can I just encourage you that hearing from God is not complicated? It's really not. And sometimes when you just have that like slight sensation, can I just encourage you to just go with it a little bit? It's not usually that difficult. And you just don't know what will happen. Incredible things happen when you just follow that little prompting and you do end up at a particular bench or you do end up in a different line and you start a conversation. You never know quite where it might end up. So I love this bit. Now he had to go through Samaria. There was a compulsion for him to go there. And uh, when he gets there, he gets there at the hottest part of the day. Now, we have that expression, don't we, that, um, uh, is it mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun? There's something about the British that end up in the noonday sun. Because uh, anybody that lives in a hot country knows that you don't go out in the noonday sun. You stay at home and you rest at the hottest part of the day. Uh, but he ends up at this well and a woman comes out. Now, my family are from Punjab and uh, often I've been out there. And I remember when I was much younger being in my mum's village with her. And nobody would do anything in the middle of the day, but everybody in the morning would get up and go to the fields to do their daily stuff. And you'd have to go out and do that. But you all did it. It was kind of a, a, a community of, of stuff that happened together in the morning. There was banter. There was conversation. You caught up with people's lives in the morning. That's what you did. Probably something very similar was going on here. And yet this woman was on her own in the middle of the day, where she was pretty much certain that she wasn't going to bump into anybody at the well. Now, we're not told what was going on with the woman. We're not told whether she was so embarrassed and she didn't want to be seen by anybody else, so she was doing it all very privately and coming out. Do you know, I think we do that. I think we build up walls of defence very quickly. I think somebody offends us and we think, oh, we won't go near them. We will just avoid them and we'll just kind of like, um, we'll, we'll you know, put our head down and carry on. Oh, yeah, they said that remark to us or and whatever. We build up those walls. I don't know if that was going on for this woman, that she was so embarrassed by her lifestyle that she didn't want to be with the others. Or was it because of her lifestyle, the whole community had shunned her because her lifestyle wasn't that godly, let's face it. It wasn't that appropriate. And um, I don't know, because we're not told. But for whatever reason, she is out on her own. This is Jesus 
and the woman having a divine appointment. I think we have them much more than we realize. When you speak a word of encouragement to somebody that you don't know that well, that's actually a divine appointment. When you get to speak some truth, some gentle truth into people's lives, that's actually adding something of Jesus to them. I'm trying to demystify this because I think we, we put a lot of pressure on people to you know, get people to say the prayer of commitment and add them to this and add them to that and get them here. I think sometimes it's much more, let's take a step back and help people just receive Jesus and serve them. And, um, and so this woman is here and Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. Oh man, such a wrong thing to do. He's broken every rule at this point. He's a man talking to a woman. For crying out loud, that doesn't happen. And, um, and then not only is a man talking to a woman, he is a Jew talking to a Samaritan. He has broken every cultural taboo. And please also hear me. I am not encouraging you to break the rules. I am absolutely not encouraging you to do that. But sometimes, if you are led by the Holy Spirit, it does mean you take some risks. I'm going to uh, just break into a story. I love telling stories. And um, so we were, it was many years ago where I was still working out the whole prophetic evangelism thing and how that works. And I had taken a friend of mine to the hospital. She'd knocked on my door. Well, she hadn't. She rung me up and said, Jazz, I've hurt my leg. I need to get to A&E. Is that okay? Can you get me there? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I got in my car, got her to, to the local A&E. Parked my car, I helped, well, no, I dropped her off and parked my car, helped her in. At the end of our time there, I'm coming back out, and I said to, said to my friend Rachel, just wait there, I'm going to go and get my car, and I will bring it back and pick you up. And so she waited outside the hospital doors, and as I walked past, I could catch out of the corner of my eye, a crowd had kind of gathered, and there was a girl in the middle just screaming and shouting, and I couldn't quite hear what she was screaming and shouting. But as I kind of left, I kind of had a prompt, um, Holy Spirit prompt, I guess. I didn't really understand how it all worked back in the day, but it was more like a voice which said, give her your Bible. And I'm a reasonably confident person. You know, that's, that's a kind of description I would have of myself. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, I can give her my Bible. And uh, as I began to process that sentence, I just was began, I found that I was walking more slowly. I just slowed down my pace. I wasn't rushing anymore. And, uh, and suddenly fear gripped me in quite an incredible way. There's a big crowd, there's a girl in the middle, and I'm supposed to give her my Bible. And in my car, I had two Bibles that day. I had my old battered one that I had been using, and I had just treated myself to a brand new metal Bible. Do you remember when they all came out? Most of you will remember. They were quite cool and trendy, and I was a youth worker back in those days, so I needed a trendy Bible. And, um, and my particular metal Bible was embossed with a, um, a can of Coke, sort of ring pull and underneath it said thirsty with a question mark it was all embossed very beautiful bible Hmm. anyway I knew that if I was going to give this girl my bible I'd have to give her the new one I couldn't give her my tatty old one and as I'm walking towards the car I have never experienced fear like it so I just said to God if she's still there when I get back I'll give her my bible and uh, so I got into my car and I Observe the five mile per hour speed limit. 
and observed, you know, all the rules of the road, gave way to lots of people. So by the time I got back to the, the gates, um, uh, I thought she'll be gone. But actually the crowd had got bigger. So my friend Rachel, who I was ignoring, was trying to hobble over into my car. And I was like, I can't, I'm too scared. How am I going to walk into this circle to give this girl my Bible? And, um, and so Rachel's trying to help herself into my car. And she's like, why am I not helping her? And it's Rachel, Rachel, I've got to give her my Bible. And Rachel, well, just do it. And I couldn't do it. I had one leg in, one leg out. And literally, I did it for about five minutes. And in the end, I just did the three seconds of courage. One, two, three, go. Picked up, walked into the middle of the circle. And I said, I'm really sorry. I know this is really random, but I believe that I want to give you my Bible. And uh, in that moment, she stopped screaming and shouting. And she went, wow, thank you. And she started stroking the cover. I didn't stick around to find out what happened next. I ran out of there. I was in my car. I didn't observe any speed limit. And went out of the hospital. And uh, once I'd calmed down, I explained to Rachel what had gone on. And she'd been there for a good while waiting for me. So she had observed it for much, much longer. It had turned out. That girl was screaming and crying out and saying, someone get me a drink, get me a drink, someone get me a drink now. I had just given her a Bible which said thirsty with a question mark on it. Okay, that's, that's a fabulous story. I don't know the end of that story. I didn't stick around to tell her about Jesus or whatever. I trust in God that one day I will see this girl again in glory. Yeah. But that moment will be part of her story. That moment will be part of her story. That is what Jesus is doing in her life. And actually, that's fun. See, I get to tell that story now. I've told that story countless times. I get to tell that story, and it is fun. It was an adventure. Jesus doesn't make evangelism boring and a chore. It's fun. It's just enjoyable. It's your life that you are sharing with other people. So that's kind of, you know, when I, when I see that Jesus has this encounter with um, this woman, it's just part of an adventure that he's having. And he starts this conversation with her, uh, breaking the rules as it were, and asks her some questions. He's just taking the natural things around him and using that as a question, a, a conversation starter. And the one thing that I know the British are really good at, if you're stuck for conversation, is let's talk about the weather. <laughs> let's be honest. Who hasn't spoken about the weather this week? Even Mark and I have had conversations about the weather this week, just because he didn't know whether I was going to make it here this morning or not. And um, I'm like, a bit of snow, that's not going to stop me. Um, but it's easy to start a conversation with people. It really, really is. And we all have different personalities. You don't have to be extrovert to start a conversation. You can just, just talk about the weather. So he takes the natural things around him and has this conversation. And then I believe, I think he has a word of knowledge. So he knows in his heart that this woman is leading a loose lifestyle. And, but he doesn't embarrass her. He doesn't come out with, I know your sin. I don't think that's what prophetic words are about. Prophetic words are about you know, encouraging, building up, lifting up, getting alongside and so he's obviously got this revelation, bearing in mind Jesus is obviously the son of God, but also fully human at this point. And, uh, and so he asks her some questions. And even when, he, when she gives an answer and says, 
uh, I have no husband. He doesn't embarrass her by saying, you're lying, I know about you. He affirms her. And he says, what you have said is quite true. And, uh, but then, I mean, and I, I love that. And then he goes on to reveal what he actually knows. But he's built her up first. He hasn't put her down. He's got on her wavelength. And he's opened up, her, he's opened up that door to be able to speak some more truth into, into her. We, um, we moved into the house that we currently live in about eight years ago. And... Um, and I was coming home, having dropped the kids off from school one day, and I bumped into a lady, never seen her before, and she was in tears. And so when you bump into somebody in tears, you're like, you're going to have to respond, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So she was a Chinese-looking lady, and I'm like, okay, so is everything all right? And we start that, you know, you're crying, obviously. And, uh, and just as I asked her, is everything all right? I knew in my heart, more than anything else, this, this woman wanted a baby. That's what I knew. I just knew it. Um, I can't say I had a big revelation, but that was just something that, that rose up. It could have been anything. You know, she was a woman not a dissimilar age to me. Um, it could have been grief. It could have been depression. It could have been marriage problems. I didn't know. But in my heart, I was like, no, this girl wants a baby. That's what she wants. But I'm not going to say to a random stranger that I meet on the street... <laughs> He's struggling to get pregnant because that's just really not done, is it? It's not, not the done thing. And so I just, just chatted to her and I asked her a little bit. Uh, just, just, I think we'd had about three sentences and she, said, she suddenly burst into, I want a family. And at that point, I'm like, well, God, you want to do something in this woman's life. So at that point, she, just, she offered the information. I didn't share it. And then I just went, I'm a Christian. Would you like me to pray with you? Nine months to the day, she had a baby. Some of my neighbours, yeah, yeah, it is. It's exciting. Um, she's one of my neighbours. I see her kid is well. He goes to primary school now. I see him around. And one of my neighbours is their childminder and so on. But I was never going to embarrass her by saying, "I think you've got fertility problems or something's going on or what kind of you know." That would just be so wrong. Um, I'm not known for my tact, but there are times when I, I do use tact. I can use it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not the first thing you say about me. The, um, but because God had revealed it to me, I knew that he was going to do something for her. I knew that. I knew it in my heart. I was absolutely certain. And so I could very boldly offer prayer. And she, Buddhist background, received prayer on the street and um, fell pregnant. So, and I see her around all the time. She's not yet come to know Jesus, but it's part, forming part of her story. It really is. It's very exciting. And so I think what I'm trying to say is that Jesus did, had this, this encounter that you know, had a word of knowledge, talked to the woman, and, um, and then, and then she, she, what I love is that, that she reveals that she knows that someone called the Messiah is coming, which shows me that she's already searching for Jesus in her heart. That's what it shows me. And I think we live in a nation where people are desperately searching, and they are discovering that the things that they think fulfill them aren't fulfilling them anymore. And, uh, and they're looking for their answers in all sorts of places, and we need to be ready 
to give an answer for the hope to which we are called. So I want to encourage you to talk about what you know and who you know. Even if you just know a little bit, talk about the little bit that you know of Jesus. Because what this woman then did was went down to the village. She didn't have a theology, right, did she? She just went down to the village and told them, come and meet the man who told me everything about me. That's all she knew. And she dragged them to meet Jesus. And he stayed a few days and the village was saved. But in doing that, how can I put this? She shared her story. And if I can leave you with one tool, the best tool for evangelism, for being on mission, is sharing your story. Just share what God's doing, what God has done in your life. I've shared a few stories this morning, and I know that for some of you that will have provoked you. And you'll have remembered stories of things that you've done in the past where you've seen supernatural things happen or where you offered prayer or that happened or this happened. For others of you are thinking, oh, I could do that this week. That's not so hard. I can, I can get up and go for a coffee somewhere and spend some time just seeing what God will do. But she went and shared her story. And the best thing you can do is say, this is what Jesus has done for me. Oh, I was at church on Sunday and, oh, and this happened. Or I prayed, you know, just sharing the natural everyday things. Just dropping it into conversation. And um, so that's what I would encourage you with this morning. I could um, tell you countless stories of some of the fun that we have. But one of the um, stories I want to leave you with this morning is of my friend Mick and Elaine. And and I'm going to share this story largely because I think we live in this world where everything is hyper-connected and it's it's all happens in an instant. It's like the McDonald's generation, isn't it? Everything has to happen immediately. And I think sometimes we forget, you know, when the Bible says that to, to God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. And we try and fit in what God is doing into our time scale and into our agenda. And I think if you are going to build genuine friendships with people and genuinely share your lives and genuinely talk about what Jesus has done for you, have some credibility with that, that takes time. Friendships take time. When Tim and I first got married, we moved on to um, a local council estate. We felt God was calling us to live in the middle of this council estate. And, uh, and I met a woman very quickly after uh, being there called Elaine. And she was a bit of a, a shaker and a mover in, in the community. We, uh, so I just, and she was a bit older than me. Um, I don't know. Her, her kids were left up and grown, had left home. Uh, she had one teenager left that came to our youth work. And they didn't know Jesus at all. But I just said to Tim, we're going to make them our friends. We'll do everything to make them our friends. And, and so we would pop around there and have cups of tea and spend time with them. And I'm not a prayer. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't spend hours and hours and hours in the prayer room praying. I just don't do that. But I do pray a lot. Does that make sense? So I... Um, so I made, it a, I made a deal with God. I said that every time I drive off the estate, I'll drive off the long way so that when I go past the house, I will pray for Mick and Elaine. I'm talking about a story of 20 years ago, so I'm trying to put this into context for you. And we used to drive off the estate. I pray for Mick and Elaine, just a one-minute prayer, and go off. 
After about uh, eight or nine years, she, she'd been leading the residence committee and all sorts of things. She suddenly became agoraphobic and stayed in. So I still used to go and visit her. And I think at that point, they'd been to church maybe once or twice. Once when my husband came into eldership and then once when a good friend of ours was preaching for the first time. So they were getting to know people in the church. And then when she became agoraphobic, I was trying to find out what I could do to serve her. And she wanted to do crafts. So I set up a craft club, a knitting club. Knitting natter is what we called it. Just for her benefit. And I would go around, pick her up and take her to to knit a natter and we would knit a natter and there'd be a group of ladies and we did this for about three or four years just every Wednesday I'd pick her up she'd come along and she'd hear about what the church was doing from the other ladies and then there came a point where she suddenly went Jazz I think I'd like to come and try your church on Sunday she asked to come so this is ten years down the road ten years of being her friend and uh and I said, yeah, if you like, you can come along to church. So she came in on Sunday. Her husband couldn't walk into church. He'd hurt his back. But during the morning, there'd been a word of knowledge about bad backs, to which he responded, and he was immediately healed. He was very freaked out by it. There are no other words of describing that. He was just freaked out. And uh, he went back to work that week, and he told anybody that would listen Went to that church, it's spooky. Went to that church, it's spooky. And he told everybody about what had happened to his back. They came back the following Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that. And it was probably, that was about May time. And in October, Elaine was in her room at home, and this was her prayer. She said, Jesus, I've been using your facilities for quite a while now. I think I would like to get on your bus. And that was her prayer of commitment. And uh, a few weeks later, her husband, um, actually it was my son who had a word of knowledge at church. And as a result of that, he gave his life to Jesus too. They're probably in their 60s now. And um, I remember Mick saying to me when he first got saved, Jazz, why didn't you tell me before? I've missed out all those years of knowing Jesus. He's weeping. I've missed out on all those years where I could have known Jesus. It's God's timing, isn't it? It's not us that does the converting. It's God that does that. That's his responsibility. But I remember driving Elaine home a couple of weeks after she had become a Christian. And uh, we were just talking and chatting away. And she'd already got herself a Bible. And she was already filling in her standing order to be giving at church. And... um, and I was laughing. I went, you've really got this down. And, uh, and she says, Jazz, you know what? It's like I've been born all over again. I didn't tell her that she'd become born again. But actually, for those 10 years that Tim and I, and it wasn't just Tim and I, there were many people involved in their lives, uh, were in their lives. What had been happening is we'd been discipling them. We'd been showing them that, you know, you go to life group, that you go to church on Sundays, you read your Bible, you do give, you get involved, you do, you know. They had been observing our lives. Our lives had been on display for them for 10 years. They didn't need me to teach them how to be added to church. They knew how to be added to church. And uh, so I tell you that story just because sometimes I think we get frustrated when people don't get saved immediately and we're so busy trying to ram the gospel down their throats that actually we just cause more barriers. I'm encouraging us to love people, build those friendships, care for them, serve them, lift them up and 
when that moment comes where they say, what must I do to be saved? You'll be ready to tell them. But you are making disciples, which is all Jesus has asked you to do. Now, I've come to the end of my message and we have a few moments. And so what I'm, I don't, I want you to be really considerate. Um, I'm going to pray for us. But I want you to, I want you to respond prayerfully. And it's a holy moment. It's one of those God moments where he's going to do his thing. It doesn't really matter what I pray. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And uh, I just, can I invite you to close your eyes? Just give Jesus your attention. And just begin to just say, Jesus, what, what is it you want me to do this week? Is there anyone you want me to befriend? I loved Ashley's story about how um, his son befriended somebody at school. Is there somewhere you want me to be this week? And just let Jesus reveal that to you. And as you're ready, I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray for us for a Holy Spirit confidence and boldness and an anointing of the evangelist to fall on you. You don't have to stand. I'm not going to make anybody do anything. But I think those of you that just want just that, that fresh touch, that little bit more, and you want to see fruitfulness in that area, supernatural confidence, when you're ready, please stand. Father, I want to thank you for this incredible, incredible company of men and women. I want to thank you that these are, these are men and women that are an army on a mission. I thank you that you have given them the island as their mission field. And I pray for everybody that is standing that wants that, that boldness, that Holy Spirit anointing, that, that ability to be able to talk to people in a fresh, dynamic and supernatural way. That you would just come upon them now, one after another, Father, that you administer powerfully. Holy Spirit, come. Just say to every ounce of fear, every bit of fear, you're to go now in the name of Jesus. And every wall that's been built up from embarrassment or from barbed comments to be broken now in the name of Jesus. Every anxious thought that stops you from stepping out, now to be broken in the name of Jesus. Every fear, 
you're to go. You've no place. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and renew mindsets this morning. Father, that you would rewire mindsets by your Holy Spirit, that they would be renewed in such a way that there'd be like a, uh, just a boldness and unction to go out and to, to just tell people about what you have done. Father, I pray that you'd grow hearts this morning with greater capacity to love and to serve. Father, I pray for a blessing over friendships in this community, that this would be the most ridiculously friendly place in the whole of the UK. And Father, I pray that you would add to this church day in, day out that you would grow the fringe of the church, you would grow the members of the church, that, Father, this church would be used uh, as a lighthouse on this island. Father, that it would be obvious that you, Jesus, are Lord of the Isle of Wight. Amen. Wonderful. I don't, don't want to keep us so just to say very much believe in the gifts that are listed in Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And I know that many of you this morning know that you've encountered a gift, haven't you? You feel it. Just feel it in your spirit. Just recognize there's an anointing that comes with the gift that God gives. And uh, you just feel faith rising in yourself, don't you? You think, I could talk to my friends. You just feel that faith. That's because of a gift. Um, and so we just honor that gift. Thank you, Jazz, for that and recognize that.